We live in a fallen world, and sometimes things don't go as we planned. Sunshine days can quickly become cloudy days. It's okay to not be okay, because it's true hope that comes on the other side of suffering. Thank you for joining us today as we start our new sermon series, Lament. Please stand as we read God's word. Today's passage is Psalm 6, verses 1 through 10. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Simoneth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. And my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame into a moment. Dear Lord, thank you for this message today, Lord. I pray that you um, reach the hearts of the congregation today through Pastor Andrew. May the words that he speaks come from you and flow through him so that he can deliver a message, Lord, that will touch the hearts of all here, Lord. May we apply the message that we receive today, Lord, into our lives as we go from here throughout our week. But Lord, please just be with us and surround this congregation, Lord. I uplift all of the, all of the hurt, all the pain, all the fears, and Lord, I ask that you replace that with faith, and I ask that your will be done in all of our lives. For in your name we pray, amen. Am I, am I good? Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Y'all pray with me. Dear Lord, God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to come together to worship you. Lord, I ask that you would be with us and that you would watch over us. God, that you would guard our hearts and our minds. But most importantly, Lord, I ask that you would descend on this place and that your Holy Spirit would ignite us, that it would ignite me, or that you would speak through me to your people and that you would use all of me, my faults and my shortcomings, my mistakes and my triumphs, that all of these things would reflect your glory. God, I pray 
that you would bless your people today through the preaching of your word. And God, I ask these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As, uh, as some of you know, yesterday we had a service project. We brought many of our youth together and we went out to one of our members' houses and we, we moved them. Um, and as many of you know, moving can be kind of a complicated deal. A lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on. Uh, in one particular instance, where it's pr- towards the end of the day, you know, that's usually when most of, your, most of your bad stuff happens at the end of the day. Everybody's tired. You're trying to rush to get through. So I'm sitting there. Um, I had borrowed somebody's truck. Actually, I borrowed Herman's truck. So if you see Herman, he knows. Uh, this isn't a surprise to him. So I'm driving Herman's truck. It's beautiful. It's a big, powerful, fancy truck. I'm at the wheel. Sun's next to me. And I'm looking at the mirror, I'm looking at the backup camera, and I'm looking at the mirror, and I am using this as an opportunity to convey wisdom to my son, as I often will do, (laughs) sharing wisdom with him. And as we get, as we're backing up, and I'm telling him, you know what, Andy, ministry's complicated sometimes, you know? In the middle of ministry, we see all kinds of things happen, crunch. I ripped the mirror off the side of the vehicle. And what came out of my mouth next was not praise. It was lament. It was the anguish of my heart as I realized how much money it's going to cost to replace the mirror on this truck. That's how life is. You can be sailing along, doing well. The rug gets jerked out from underneath you. And you are reminded in a heartbeat that we live in a fallen world filled with brokenness and pain. Our sermon series that we're starting this week is called Lament. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be going through the penitential psalms. So we're going to be doing two interesting things. We're going to be jumping into the book of Psalms, which is itself an adventure, and we're going to be concentrating on those psalms where the psalmist is crying out to God in anguish. Hopefully it's not depressing. It'll be okay. But we're doing this Because sometimes, often, as Christians, we face times of trial. And it's very tempting as Christians to kind of adopt this fake joyfulness that's only skin deep. To have this kind of hashtag blessed mentality, like, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm hashtag blessed. I'm just blessed today. Really? And so often when, when I talk to people, I'll say, well, how are you doing today? If, if you ever hear me do this, please understand what I'm doing. I'll be like, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing okay. And then I'll say, what does okay look like? That's my nice pastor way of saying, really? Come on. Because for many of us, we're not okay. For many of us, we came into this building after wiping the tears out of our eyes. 
Maybe we got into a fight with our spouse this morning. Maybe we yelled at our children this morning. Maybe we woke up alone and we don't want to be alone. I don't know where you are. But chances are, if you came into this building this morning, you are struggling with something. You're not okay. And I want to tell you this morning that it's okay for you to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. God has given us one of the most amazing books in the Bible to help us process the grief that we feel. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through selected uh, selected passages in the book of Psalms. And Psalms is an incredible book. Psalms is a book of extremes. It is the longest book in the Bible. 150 chapters. It's got 150 different psalms in it. It has the longest chapter in the Bible, and it has the shortest chapter in the Bible. It was written over a thousand years by many different authors. And it carries with it the anguish and exaltation of a people that are living in step with God. The Psalms that we're going to be going through over the next several weeks are called the penitential Psalms. These are the Psalms that speak to anguish. These are the Psalms that were written by people that were in the midst of pain and suffering. Now, most of the Psalms were written by King David. 75 of of the 150 were written by him. And so most of the psalms that we're going to go through are going to be written by David, and the psalm that we have this morning is also written by King David. Psalm 6 begins with a cry of lament. David is begging God to hear him, and more importantly, he's begging him to give him peace. And I I want to just sit with the language for a minute, because psalms, most of them, were songs that were meant to be sung. They were poetry. And so the language is is, um, symbolic. And so often when when we sing songs, they communicate truth at a different level because we're we're painting pictures with emotion. So I don't want to skip over the emotion here. Listen to David. He says, O Lord, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? I just want to sit there for a second underneath the anguish that we hear in David's mouth. He begins with this cry for mercy. He sets up these two requests, right? And so what does he say? He says, rebuke me not in your anger. He feels acutely the displeasure of God. He knows that God is angry with him. How do we know that? Because God was often angry at David. David Well, David made a lot of really bad choices in his life. 
Which is interesting because we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, David routinely messed things up. We think that the setting for this psalm is during David's escape from Jerusalem. To kind of understand what's going on, you need to understand some backstory. There's some complicated family dynamics here. Some really messed up stuff is going on. David had been blessed by God. He became king over Israel. He united all of the tribes together. Very powerful, very successful general. And he became complacent. And he became lazy. We're told in the book of First or book of Second Samuel that in the days in the springtime when kings go out to war, David didn't. All of his men went out to the battlefield and David didn't. You know what David did? David sat up on his rooftop at like a peeping Tom looking in the window at his neighbor's house as a woman bathed. And he fell in love with her. He had an affair with her. He had her husband killed. He committed murder because he wanted to cover up his sin. And we're told that the prophet Nathan came to him and told him that a lot of bad stuff was going to happen to him because of it and that the sword would not pass from his house, that his house would be wreaked with problems because of the sin that he committed. And so David understands that God is mad at him. He understands that the wrath of God rests on him. His biggest problem is God and that his relationship with God is broken. And yet, David also knows that his biggest solution is God. He knows that his affliction can be lifted and so he cries out to him and he tells God, I am afflicted in my bones and the imagery that we have is a man who is so oppressed by the bad things that have happened to him that he is literally shaking with grief and trauma. My, my grandfather was in World War II. And I didn't get to talk to him much about it. But one of the things that he would talk about, he was in the Battle of the Bulge. And he said that the worst thing about the Battle of the Bulge was when they would take artillery fire. And, and I've experienced artillery fire and it's not great. There is something really, really disconcerting about things blowing up around you. But he endured huge amounts of it. And I, and I, would, and I would say, like, well, what did you do? How did you survive that? And he said, we just went to the bottom of our foxhole, curled up in a ball, and went someplace else. The trauma and the stress were so overwhelming that they would just check out. We're seeing that with David, where his trauma and his stress is so intense that he is laying and shaking and crying out to God for relief. For David, God is his greatest problem and his ultimate solution. But he has other problems. See, his only problem is not that God is mad at him. He also has the consequences of his sin that he's dealing with. And the next stanza 
He begins to talk about what this looks like. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. See, David is dealing with with the anger of God, but he's also dealing with the brokenness and chaos that his sin has caused in his family. Later on, his family is going to be a wreck. One of his sons is going to rape one of his daughters. And then another son, Absalom, is going to kill the other one. So you have chaos and bloodshed and abuse going on inside of the family because of his sin. And I just want to take a moment, guys, I want to stop for just a second and tell you that for many of us, we are reaping the consequences in our own lives of sins that were committed by people in the past. We call this generational sin. Abuse goes down generation to generation and breaks entire families. I want you to think about that as parents, that your sins will affect your children and your children's children. And David is reaping this. His son Absalom has killed one of his own brothers and and in his anger and his pride, he gathers an army and he overthrows David and he drives him out of the city and seeks to kill him. And now David, on the run, lays blubbering and crying in his bed. And look at the language. He says, my sheets are soaked with my tears. Have you ever been in that situation, guys? Where you are so broken that you cry so much that your sheets are soaked with your tears? You're just covered. You're a blubbering mess. That's where David is. He says, my eyes are wasting away. He's all, his eyes are all red and, 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 and squinted up. He's probably got snot running down his nose. He's probably not a, not a pretty crier, David. There is carnage in his family and his children have turned on each other and in him. And so David cries out to God and begs him for his life. But he's not just begging, he's also reminding God of the promises that God has made to him. And so there is this critical word that we find in this passage. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me. Not because he's a good guy. Not because he makes good sacrifices. Not because he promises to do something amazing later on. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. And that's one of those words that we lose in translation. Because it appears in different ways in different places in the Old Testament. But it's all the same word. And the word is hesed. He's saying, save me because of your Hesed. And Hesed is a, is a powerful word. It means God's covenantal love. It means mercy and grace. If you're Spanish, the word is misericordia. 
In the Old Testament, it refers to the love that God has for his people because of the covenant that he has made with them. This is the love that brings God back over and over and over again. It is the love that causes God to forgive his people when there is literally no reason for him to do so. When they have destroyed everything and made every bad choice and run as far away from him as they can possibly go, Hesed is what brings God back to them. Probably the best translation of the word Hesed is in, is in the Jesus Storybook Bible of all places. It describes Hesed as God's never stopping, never ending, always and forever kind of love. That's what Hesed is. It is the love that never gives up. It's the love that causes Jesus to leave the 99 and go find the one sheep that's wandered off. And David, in his anguish, cries out to God and says, Save me, O Lord, because of your hesed. Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because it is your nature, God. Because it is who you are to show mercy and grace. All of the pain and all of the suffering that he's going through is because he has sinned. It is all the consequence of his sin. And yet he is still crying out to God and saying, save me. Save me, God. David is resting his hope on the covenant love of God. On God's mercy and on God's grace. So often I think when we read the Old Testament, we're kind of trained to see the Old Testament as, as a wrathful God, as a God of, of, of anger and a God of judgment. And yet all of the Old Testament is permeated with a God of mercy. He says judgment, 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 and does mercy, mercy, mercy. Israel should have been blotted out a thousand times. And yet every time God stays his hand, every time God draws his people back to him, Every time he gathers his people up. And, and for those of you this morning who are hurting, I want you to, to hold on to this. That God has demonstrated for thousands of years that he is faithful to his children. Especially when we are not faithful to him. I, I think sometimes we get it in our mind that we earn God's love somehow. That, that, that even though we're saved by grace, we've earned God's love somehow. We've done something. We've been good. We've done the right things. We're like Thomas the Train. We make good decisions. And, and, and so we've earned God's love, right? Now, and, and it's dangerous, right? Because if, you, if you're doing well, it makes you think that you deserve God's love. Well, I've never been to jail. I don't smoke crack and I don't beat my wife. Oh, what a great man I am. Come and lavish the love that I deserve on me, God. And it makes us feel better than we are. And it leads us to look down on the people around us who maybe are not doing so well. It leads us into the trap of pride. But there's a, there's a flip side of that. See, if we think that we earn God's love, 
then it means that when things are not going well, when we've made mistakes, when we've broken our relationship with God, when we've sinned, it means that we sit at the bottom of a hole of our own making and we wallow around in the mud and think there is no possible way that God can pull me out of this. That I've got to pull myself up on my bootstraps before God can love me. I've got to get back to ground level before my relationship with him can heal. but it is from the miry pit that David cries out and says, based on your grace, O Lord, save me. He is a God who sees our brokenness and a God who hears our pain. Romans 8 says, nothing, neither heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not anything. And so I want to speak to you right now as you, as you wallow in grief and as you deal with the problems in your life right now, I need you to understand that God has not left you. That he is where he has always been waiting for you to cry out to him. And he is faithful he has been faithful to me and he has been faithful to our fathers and he will be faithful to you. And I also want to point out to you, brothers and sisters as a church, that we cannot be a church that demands dry eyes and smiles Oh, that we will not be a church that looks down on those who are in anguish and who cry. Oh, that we would not be a church that looks down on messy people. If we are doing the work of God, we will encounter broken people. And guess what? Broken people are messy. When we wrap up a broken person in our arms, the filth that is on them gets on us. Oh, that we would be like Jesus who made people clean. Brothers and sisters, David has cried out to God he has wept through the night, crying and lamenting. And one of the great things about the Psalms is we get to see peace in the morning. This is why the Psalms are such an effective tool for us when we are suffering in the midst of crisis. Because they start off with this person complaining about everything. It, we start off with a person Declaring their anger at God in some cases. It's a person yelling at God about where their life is. And let it all hang out there. And all of them end up in the same place. They all end up with praises and glory and restoration. Listen to what David says. He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. 
The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord has accepted my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall all turn back and be put to shame in a moment. He's declaring that God has heard his weeping, that God has heard his plea, and that God has accepted his prayer. And in this moment, this is a moment of release for David because he has been heard by God and he has been seen by God. And while David is many things, a murderer and an adulterer and a lazy king and a proud man, he is a man of God who knows that God can restore all things. He is a man who trusts in God. He has faith in God and his faith is total. He knows that when the presence of God returns to him, God will save him. And so when he feels the face of God on him, when he feels that his prayers have been heard, he knows that he has been forgiven. He knows that his enemies will be driven before him. He knows that the oppression will end. But all of this, guys, all of this is the result of a God who has heard David's prayer and mercifully forgiven him. None of this is deserved by David. And David knows that. One author put it this way. He said, the divine wrath is not some sort of irritation. Right? We don't serve a petulant God who gets mad at little things for no reason. Like We've all had bosses like that, right? Bosses who nitpick us. Maybe parents who, who are a little bit picky. That's not what God is. God isn't, oh, isn't, isn't inappropriately mad about dumb things that don't matter. God's wrath is intense and it is real because it is based in truth. It is infinitely more serious than a temper tantrum. It is a deliberate resolve to respond to a specific state of the human soul. And it is only the grace of God that can deliver us from the wrath of God. And in this, David feels the grace of God. God has seen David and he's heard him and he's forgiven him and now in his grace he will restore him. Brothers and sisters, I just want to reach out to you right now and tell you you are not victims. The struggles that you face right now, the, the problems that you are encountering right now are all the result of sin. Your sin or somebody else's sin. We live in a world that teaches us that there is nobility in being a victim. If you're a victim, it's not your fault. You're noble and oppressed and you should revel in your victimhood. That's not what scripture teaches us. It teaches us that all things, all of the bad things in the world are the product and result of human sin and that we are inextricably enmeshed in that sin. And it is only through the grace and the power of God that we can be extricated from it. Our restoration comes through the graceful purposes of God. And hallelujah, he is graceful. 
He does not stay angry forever. He is a God of mercy and a God of grace, a God who will restore you when you turn your back to him. He is a God who will reach down in that pit and pull you up. And so in his sin and brokenness, David cried out to God and, God, and he received mercy. David was saved from the wrath of God through the power of God's covenant love. And brothers and sisters, we are no different. David had a covenant with God. God promised him that he would guard him and guide him and make his sons to, to last on the throne. He was part of this promise that God made to Abraham that Abraham's seed would go and bless the world. But we have a promise that's linked to that. The promise that we have is that in Christ, we can be free and we can be saved. See, we are the, we're the seed of that promise. God promised to bless the world through Abraham and David, and we're the ones who were blessed by it. Jesus came from the line of David and he died on the cross to take our sins from us. And the promise that we claim is the promise that we can have a relationship with God even when we're broken. Even when we've messed our entire lives up. Even when everything that we have touched has fallen apart. That God is still there holding out his hand saying, return to me. That's why I love that song. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to hear you and not heed it. Prone to scorn you in your love. Brothers and sisters, that is the life song of everyone here. And yet because of God's covenant love, because of his hesed, because of his always, his never stopping, never ending, always and forever kind of love, when we cry out to him, he comes to us. And he turns his face to us. And he says, I love you. I don't like what you did. But I love you. And I'll restore you. My prayer for each of us this morning is that we would cry out to God that we would use this season of Lent as a time of lament. That we would cry out to him and ask forgiveness for the sins that we have committed. And that we would accept the forgiveness that he's brought. But there's a caveat to this. See, God forgives those who accept his forgiveness. To receive the forgiveness of God, you have to have a relationship with him. And you only have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And so if there is anyone in this room today that has never had a relationship with Christ, who has never accepted him as Lord and Savior, I am begging you this morning, do not miss this opportunity to turn and trust him. Because while he is gentle and merciful to the worst of his children in the depth of their sin. He is merciless to those who want to stand on their own righteousness. To those who think in their pride that they can approach God on their own. 
So I'm begging you, if you have come into this place this morning thinking that you're a good person, that you're an okay dude, that you're a pretty good guy, and looking to that as the reason for your salvation, I need you to understand this. You are not. None of us are. There is no one in this room good enough, wise enough, moral enough to approach God on our own. We can only come into the presence of God if we accept the salvation that his son has purchased for us. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. This is a time for you to search your soul. This is a time for you to work out your faith in fear and trembling and to ask that question, do I know that I know that I know Jesus? Is he real to me? Is my relationship to him based on something that I believe or something that was just given to me by my parents? Do I trust in him because I've made a commitment to follow him? Or have I just been swept along by the culture around me? I want us to take just a moment. And I want us to go to the Lord. And just listen to his voice right now. And then as we sing the words of this old song. If you feel the Lord moving you. If you don't know. And want to. Come forward here and we'll pray with you. Maybe, maybe you've accepted Christ, but you find yourself at the bottom of a hole that you don't know how to get out of. And you just need some people to pray for you. Come up here. we got some deacons. We'll pray for you. Maybe you're sick or you're hurting or you're looking for a church home. I don't know where you are right now. But the altar is open for you now. And we've got all day. Y'all pray with me. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would be in this room with us this morning. God, that you would move as a holy fire here. And that you would transform the lives and the hearts of the people in this room. God, we come to you dirty and broken, all of us. But we cry out to you knowing that you can transform even, even the worst of us. Even me. Oh, Lord, we ask as a church that we would get to see your glory now, that you would pull back the curtain and let us see who you are. God, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Y'all stand as we sing. Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church.